You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The Sportsman's Nation is proud to be a certified business member of 2% for Conservation. And this episode is brought to you by Go Wild. If you haven't had the opportunity to check out Go Wild, you need to do so. It has every aspect of a hunter's life, from scouting to shooting to tagging the animal, cleaning to cooking. It's all embraced by this go wild app it's a social media destination designed for outdoor enthusiasts by outdoor enthusiasts so you're not going to find any politics you're not going to find any bs you're going to be able to post your harvest pictures without somebody creeping on you or talking down to you about your passion this community basically that's what it is it's a community of people who are all like-minded individuals and who have a passion for the outdoors so if you want to learn more about this go wild app you need to go visit time to go wild.com or download it to your smartphone wherever apps can be downloaded so it's time to go wild Welcome to the Transition Wild Podcast, the home for those looking for expertise and inspiration on all things Western big game hunting. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number 28, where we talk with Jacob Coons on planning a DIY elk hunt. Hello, friends. What's going on? Thanks again for coming back and listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network this is the Transition Wild Podcast, and if you're new here, welcome. I, I appreciate you tuning in. Uh, I am getting ready to head out on a rifle mule deer hunt. I'm converting over to the dark side. Screw bow hunting. I hate bow hunting. Uh, I'm done with it, so I'm just going strictly gunpower, long range, firepower from here on out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I I am going rifle hunting. It's my first time I will actually use my new rifle that I got a couple years ago. Um, but I, I love bow hunting. I, I will never say that. I was just joking. I was just joking. That was, don't get mad. Uh, don't take offense to that. <laughs> I, I love archery hunting and we'll do that for the rest of my life. But um, I am excited to get out there and, and uh, you know, fire off a round potentially. I'll be going with my girlfriend we're gonna be hunting together and we'll see what happens i'm 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 kind of along for the ride with her and if she gets something then i'll uh, you know I'll, I'll get out there and and try to tag something myself so wish me luck um hopefully i'll have something to show for it you know this year because i've been on a bit of a dry spell i'm not gonna lie it, it gets a little frustrating at times but 
I, I got good feelings about this year. I'll I'll take something down, so I'm not I'm not too worried. I'll stay at it. Um, I think my plans for Nebraska have changed. I am actually switching to Oklahoma, and the reason why is because of rifle hunters. The season is right the week I wanted to hunt, and I don't really want to be out there competing with the uh, you know long range rifle hunters. Um, so I am actually looking at Oklahoma. So that could be something pretty different. Never really thought about that state, but everything seems to be kind of pointing that in that direction. So we'll see what happens. I'm excited for that to hunt some whitetails and and get out there and and get it done on public land. So um, today's guest we have is Jacob Kuhn, and he actually reached out to me and kind of gave me a little synopsis of what he has going on and um, his first elk hunt and you know really wanted to kind of talk about the whole planning and um, the preparation process behind somebody who's you know going in blind I had a I had a guest a while back his name was Andrew Honeycutt if you haven't seen or haven't listened to that episode I'd recommend you do it it's along the same lines of this but um you know, Jacob really dives into a lot of detail. He's very analytical in the standpoint or from the standpoint of, you know, crunching numbers and spreadsheets and um, kind of figuring out where where the best spot to hunt based on a lot of factors and determining where to hunt, what state and, and breaks it all down. So he has a lot of valuable tips and information that he shares with us about the whole, you know, scouting, um, you know, gear and and actually walks us through what he was doing um into his hunt and he was able to take a great bull um you know really well-spoken guy great story and uh very useful i even learned some things so for you beginners out there this is a really good episode and even if you're a veteran you're going to take away some good stuff from it as well so uh let's not wait any longer let's get jacob on the line All right. Well, on the line with us now, we have Jacob Coons. How you doing, doing today, man? Adam, I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing well, doing well. Thanks. Appreciate you coming on. Um, you're in Phoenix right now. You, we were kind of talking a little bit before we jumped on here. What, a, what are you doing out there um, that brings you in that, in that neck of the woods? Well, I wish I wish I could say I'm in Arizona, you know, working on an elk hunt, but I'm actually <laughs> here for a, a, a medical conference. Um, and, uh, but it's, uh, it's a beautiful state. It's great weather. It's my first time here. And, um, yeah, so I'm out here for work, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> well, you gotta, you gotta pay the bills. Um, that's for sure. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's cool, man. Well, I, I appreciate you reaching out. I, I actually had a guy, um, God, I can't remember his name, but I, uh, I talked with him on the podcast Andrew Honeycutt, I think it was his name, and he reached out to me, or I reached out to him actually, and it was in regards to kind of a DIY um, elk hunt, you know, somebody who did it completely on their own and kind of went through the whole planning process, and um, everyone really seemed to like that because it's very relatable, right? And and when you reached out to me in, in the same manner, um, I was like, yeah, let's do it because. Um, you know, there's just so many things to planning a hunt and you can never have too much, 
expertise or intelligence or listening to this podcast or reading that article. So I think just, you know, kind of diving into everything and hearing your story is, is going to be very useful to our listeners and, you know, everyone's going to come away learning a lot. So again, I appreciate you reaching out. Yeah. I happy to, to honestly help other folks because as I was, we were talking, I live in Kentucky and when you get boots on the ground for, you know, an elk hunt, or I guess really any Western hunt, but certainly an elk hunt, and you've got five days to do it, get it done, or seven days or 10 days. I mean, you don't want, you really, the, the, the hunt, the, the success or failure goes into that planning. Yeah. And, and that's really, um, you know, for, for about two years, you know, I, you know, was really building into that from like, from ground zero, like how in the world do I, do we get this done? And, and so I know I listen to seems like thousands of hours of podcasts, <laughs> everything that I could get my hands on so that those days that we had dedicated would really be as successful as possible. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. You don't really have the time to be bouncing around or figuring it out on the fly. You really got to have your plan dialed, your, your gear, um, you know, familiar with your gear, have the right gear. Um, you know, scouting is key and then, and getting out there and making adjustments as needed and, uh, all the above. So, um, yeah, I, I, I want to hear all of it for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a lot, you know, it's like you got to earn a PhD and, and, uh, hunting out West because you don't have, um, you know, you're driving 20 hours or whatever it may be to get to that spot and you gotta, you know, you gotta make as much of that, put much of that time in as possible ahead of time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, obviously we're, we're going to be very elk hunting, hunting focused, um, you know, pertaining around your trip and your planning process. But before we be- begin and get into that, give give me a little background on, on where you're from and what you do for a living and maybe how you got into hunting in the first place. Yeah, so um, I live in Louisville, Kentucky, and um I'm in medical sales um, with a large healthcare company, um, and I, uh, you know, I, I sort of got into hunting a lot when I was younger. Like most folks, uh, my dad, uh, you know, got me into it, squirrel hunting, uh, you know, deer hunting. Uh, you know, we did a lot of outdoor stuff, and um, you know, unfortunately, as you you know, when you get into college, you you sort of you know, you just get into that frame of mind. And then when you graduate from college, you get into, you know, finding a job and, and working as hard as you can and climbing the corporate ladder and, and all those things. And they're all very important, but you sort of, you lose sight of, of some of the outdoor stuff because it is a, a you know, a time commitment. And, um, so about, you know, I want to say six, seven, maybe eight years ago, I started to get back into it. Um, I, you know, I realized that, uh, you know, um, <laughs> you know, I love sports and I love all these other things, distractions in life, but you know, you're really an observer, uh, to you know, some of the things, you know, when you're just spending time watching football games or, or, you know, whatever passion you may be, you're not really truly engaged in, you know, life, you're just sort of watching other people do life. And so I, uh, 
I sort of got plugged back into it and, and started, you know, signing up with Field and Stream and Outdoor Life and all those magazines. And, and, uh, and, and you know, I also wanted to build that love for the outdoors and to, you know, my kids and, and help them understand that, you know, real, there's a difference between manufactured fun, you know, like going to Disney uh, versus, you know, real adventure, which is, you know, going hiking and camping and, and hunting and those sorts of things. So those were, you know, like I said, about eight years, seven or eight years ago, that's when I started getting back into it. And, and really, um, you know, hunting whitetails, I was living in Pennsylvania at the time and that's, you know, that's kind of tough because there's a lot of, you know, a lot of hunters there. And then, um, and, um, you know, I remember, uh, an article, you know, in one of those magazines that showed how to, um, you know, hunt antelope and how you could, you know, get them to charge you, uh, with a decoy as they're trying to protect their harem. And, and I mean, I, this was literally probably a decade ago and I saw that and I thought, man, that sounds amazing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like the, the thought of having a bow and arrow and having a, a you know, a, a, a buck antelope charge you and then try to get off a shot. And so, um, in the back of my mind, that was always something that I was like, I got to try that. And so in 2016, I did go on a, uh, uh, hunt for pronghorn with my dad out to the, the Northwestern tip of Nebraska. And, uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't close the deal, but we got really close and we just had a blast. And, and it was at the end of that trip that my dad brought up um, going elk hunting. And I just, I got to tell you, Adam, I was like, that's a whole other level. I mean, you, you know, it's, it's chasing antelope in a, you know, in the prairie lands it is like a walk in the park compared to, you know, backcountry hunting, you know, elk yeah. going up and down mountains. And so that was really the impetus for us you know, even considering it. And then, you know, like I said, that was the end of 2016. And that's where sort of when we, I said yes, and we just started, started planning from there. Got it. Got it. That's really cool. So you've been whitetail hunting, you kind of got back into it, you know, um, uh, a few years back and then you went on kind of your first Western mm-hmm. or out of state trip for pronghorn. And that's when you guys decided to to kind of make it happen up to the mountains and, and chase some elk. That's, that's really cool. So as, uh, you said it was, you were kind of thinking just with your dad at the time, or were you going to have other people or your brother or what, what kind of started that initiation of, of who was going and, and what you were doing? Well, you know, I actually invited quite a few different folks. Um, you know, friends of mine that, that hunt whitetail, uh, you know, in the Midwest or whatever. And along the, the time, over the course of that time, I would share with them some of the things that I found through research and looking at different potential states, because, you know, as you know, Adam, um, there's some states that have a high level of predictability in getting a tag and some that have a low level of predictability. So like New Mexico is a great state to hunt, but it's a random draw. There's no point system. And so planning on actually hunting that, you know, hunting that state, you know, you know, 12 months out or, you know, whatever, 
is, you know, it's very it's random. And so we really yeah. want to, yeah, yeah. You just don't know. So anyway, it's, um, so, you know, I invited a bunch of folks, a bunch of guys and, you know, that, that slowly shrink down to really just, you know, my dad and my brother and I, and, uh, and my, bro- my brother hunts a little bit. He doesn't, he's not as crazy about it as I am, but, uh, but he was up for the adventures. So, um, so yeah, I came down to the three of us and, uh, and, um, you know, it, it was, uh, of course, an, it was an amazing, amazing adventure, but I know, we'll, I know we'll get into that. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you've kind of got your dad, your brother and yourself outlined for this hunt. You know, you want to do an elk hunt. Um, was that kind of your first initial steps in the planning process was just kind of figuring out maybe which state or which part of the country you wanted to go for, or was it more along the lines, like the kind of experience we're after, um, you know, depending on which state, but, um, what was kind of your initial thoughts in the planning process and, and how did you get all of that started? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, yeah, you're really looking at various states and trying to find, all right, well, how, how can we predictably get a tag what states, and then, um, you know, the, I narrowed that down to, well, Colorado has an over-the-counter. Idaho has over-the-counter. Um, Wyoming is honorable mention. But, um, you know, you have to have a guide when you go to the, you know, certain areas of the state. And then, you know, Montana has a, a really good uh, draw system that, you know, has, I guess, they, they give around 17,000 non-resident tags. And they're for general, they're a general tax. So you get about 130 units that you can hunt out of. So you have a lot of areas to pick from. And so I really narrowed it down to those three states. And then you sort of look at, you know, the odds and you can actually purchase points, um, you know, during certain times of the year for about 50 bucks um, in Montana. And so I, I started doing that. And, uh, so based on, you know, some of those things and, you know, some other things that I read and come across, we, I really decided Montana would give us the best opportunity to hunt because it had a lot of land, a lot of public land and, um, in a lot of areas that may not have nearly as much hunting pressure as say Colorado. Um, and cause I hear a lot about hunting pressure out in Colorado and then Idaho, um, it was just even further to, for us to drive. And so I sort of crossed that off the list, um, based on, on that. And then, you know, then we started getting down or I started getting down to looking at, you know, well, how do you, you know, out of these 130 units, how do you find units that are, are going to, you know, how do you narrow that down? You've got millions and millions of public land of acres of public land. And, and so there, it's a matter of, um, you know, plugging into a lot of resources out there that help you, um, you know, look at the percentage of public land in the unit, um, reading, uh, you know, looking at the state that, that, you know, that particular website for like this, the state of Montana, you know, they, they have harvest statistics and number of hunters and they have the harvest statistics are great because it shows bow or bull kill. And, and so those sorts of numbers, you know, I started to create spreadsheets to help me really analyze what units would help, you know, really help me discern which units would be better, 
to, to, to go for versus others that maybe have um, trends like with high numbers of hunters or low kill rates or low bull, bull harvest or low bow harvest. So I tried to get in a little bit of analytics there to help me discern which units would be better than others in Montana. Got it. And, and did you, I, I know when I go on some, some different out of state trips, I will actually call uh, or talk to a local biologist. Did you just to kind of get a lay of the land and as far as kind of, you know, somebody who's there boots on the ground and, and knows the area well, did you, did you end up talking to the wildlife department or a biologist in that particular area as you were zoning down? You know, I did call um, and speak to the, uh, the local DNR officer, um, and, and he was really helpful. He gave me the number for the biologist, but I probably called the biologist too late in the game, and uh, I never did get, get in touch with her, and I never did hear back from her. But I think that that's a really good point for everybody that you know that's listening to this to understand uh, what you know what the key understand that those people are going to be getting a lot of phone calls in the months of June, July, and August. So, you know, probably important to stage your calls to the biologist in January, February, or March so that they, A, are not so overwhelmed with phone calls from hunters and, and B, you're being, you know, real considerate other times. So, you know, that's an area that we, you know, I didn't take advantage of, but I think it's a really good, you know, really good point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and you're going at this from the standpoint of of not knowing anybody, right? Like you're doing this all from scratch or um cuz that's how I kind of got into elk hunting was more along the lines of, you know, I I knew somebody who who knew the land and I've had other guests on my podcast that, you know, had a buddy that lived out there or had somebody there to kind of show them the ropes. Um were you doing this that route or this completely on your own kind of going in blind? You know, I I had um, a couple people I talked to that one that had hunted Colorado and said he'd never go back because of <laughs> the amount of hunters there. <laughs> um, and, and and you know, don't let this dissuade listeners because that may not. I mean, that was just a sample size of one. But and I did talk to somebody else that but that lived in in Montana, but he was more of a um, a meat hunter, a rifle hunter, late season. And he hunted private land. So really this was on our own, just using, you know, the tools that we have available to us through, you know, Google Earth and Onyx and, and Go Hunt and, 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 and all, you know, all those different websites that, that have, uh, you know, information that can help you, you know, look at, you know, look at topography and identify saddles and look at burn areas. And then I went to your YouTube channel and saw, uh, you know, how to, you know, how you break down an area, uh, which was a really helpful, uh, video to, to watch. So I truly tried to use those types of tools to, to, to look at the, the terrain within a unit when I decided on it, you know, based on analytics, you know, how do you break it down even further to look at the, the actual terrain and where, the, you know, where are you going to park your truck and where are you going to hike to and, and really getting, you know, very granular so that you have six or seven plans 
assuming you know the first five are you know are duds yeah yeah no that's uh can never be too prepared for an out-of-state trip that's for sure so having lots of outlets and lots of options to fall back on is is huge um so it sounds like you, you know you did your uh due diligence you kind of you know crunched the numbers of harvests and success rates and you know maybe hunter numbers um and maybe you had it boiled down to a certain amount of units what what was kind of the leading factor in you deciding where to kind of hunt as far as a unit or a specific area? Um, was it more along the lines of like elk numbers, success rate, um, low hunting pressure, maybe the experience or the type of terrain that you were going for? Was it all the above? Tell us kind of how you, how you went from high, high level down to narrowing it down to a specific area. Yeah, you know, it, it, I was looking at a particular area of Montana that I, I really liked based on some of the analytics, but then I started looking at the, ter- the terrain and it, and I just thought I, I wasn't quite sure. You know, you're looking for, um, you know, in Montana, you're looking for areas with, with, you know, dark timber, but it's lush. You're looking for, I mean, of course, there's lots of water in Montana, so that you know, water is not as, as much of an issue as unless you were like hunting in like an Arizona or New Mexico. And then you're looking at, you want to look at north-facing slopes that, you know, that look like they have knobs and saddles. And and then I think, you know, the biggest, you know, one of the biggest factors was, you know, that elk distribution across the state. And I, you know, I saw that, you know, the portion of southwest Montana, 50% of the elk in that state are, are killed in southwest Montana. And, um, and there's a lot of grizzly uh, threats. And so I'm like, well, there's probably, you know, there's lower hunter numbers according to the statistics and there's higher numbers of elk according to the statistics. And then, you know, look, you know, watching the video that you have about, um, canopy disruption and avalanche shoots and that sort of thing. And then, and then looking at, you know, where are the burns, you know, the more sort of recent burn areas where you have the that canopy disruption that really helped me evaluate spaces within certain units and i was like okay here's a burn that's a you know a couple years old or here's a good avalanche shoot and where there's those disruptions there's good food and where the good food is those are where the cow that's where the cows are going to be and the cows you know say what you want about the bulls and them sort of owning a harem the cows are going to be where they want to be and so the bulls are going to be where the cows are and so that's really um, the, you know, just sort of putting all those things together. That's really how we sort of found the area that, you know, that we wanted to hunt. Yeah. Got it. Got it. No, it all, it, it all makes sense. And, uh, <laughs> where was, was, uh, obviously people in, in people get a little bit freaked out about hunting in grizzly country. Was that something that was kind of on the back of your mind? Like, oh, this could be a good area. There's good elk numbers and there's less people here, but Hey, we got a potential, uh, of running into a grizzly bear. Was that something that you were thinking about or, or weighing the, uh, weighing kind of that risk there? Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't think anybody wants that experience. Like, uh, if we saw like Todd Orr, who yep. was attacked by a grizzly in Montana, like, you know, I saw that when that happened and I like, great, this is exciting. None of us want that, but we also don't want to live, by fear of stuff happening, you know, and, 
And so we were, we were signing up for adventure and, you know, if we, if we ran into a grizzly, so be it. I mean, it was really the, you know, there was three of us. I mean, if I were solo hunting, I think this, it might be a little bit different. Obviously I might avoid an area that, that is, is full of grizzlies, but, um, but there were three of us and I knew that if we ran into a situation like that, where, you know, we could make ourselves big and we could, you know, we, each of us had a sidearm and bear spray. And so, you know, we, we, we signed up for it and, but we were very careful about, you know, not eating near our camp and putting up our, our, anything that had any type of scent in a bag, um, 200 yards from camp and, you know, up in a tree. So we were very careful, very careful about that stuff. And, and obviously, um, you want to be, cause you, you, you just, you don't want to get, get lazy or get comfortable, even though we didn't see any bear or really any signs of bear. We, we didn't want to get lazy with that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's a whole nother element, um, that you got to watch out for. So it sounds like you had that, uh, very well planned. And, um, so you've kind of got these spots figured out at that point. Did, did you kind of get more into the specifics and the particulars of like, you know, here's option one and here's where we would park and here's where we would camp for that unit um, or that area. And then you have maybe a couple others that you, you start planning and, and doing that same thing or um, was kind of your next move, like figuring out maybe when do we want to hunt and maybe that will play into um you know, where we're going to be and where we're going to camp based on maybe weather or, um, other factors of the rut and, and elk behavior. So what, what was kind of your next step in that planning process? Was it more kind of diving down into those specific areas or kind of first determining when and, um, the time period you're going to actually hunt? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, um, that is a tough decision. It's like, okay, I, you know, from what I learned and later in the month of September, you're going to hear as many bugles as you want to hear, but the cows, they, the, the, the herd bulls, you know, have their harem and for you to get a shot is going to be a little bit more difficult because, uh, at least at the herd bull, because you've got, you know, so many more sets of eyes, but earlier in September, you know, those, those groups haven't been fully established. So, your, um, your odds of, of getting, um, uh, you know, that herd bull or a larger bull or whatever to come in, uh, from my understanding uh, are a little bit greater. And so looking at the, um, the moon phases for this, you know, September of 2018, I, I saw that, like, I think it was like the third week there was going to be a full moon and I knew I didn't want to have to compete with that. And so, we set it up for September 6th through the 16th. And that way we wouldn't have to worry about the full moon stuff. I knew that, you know, going in, like maybe we won't, wouldn't hear as many bugles as we might like, but at least, um, you know, the, the, the herds, the, the harems haven't been fully established and it gives us a chance to, to maybe, uh, uh, to, to kick off a, a single bull elk as opposed to having to pull one out of a, a, a group of, you know, with a bunch of cows. Yeah. Lots of eyes in that scenario for sure. That's, uh, you know, that's, that's something to, 
to really uh, factor in because um, there are a lot of differences that way. And it also comes into the experience you want. I mean, if you want to chase bugles all day and, and go that route, um, yeah, you're going to be leaning towards later in September. Uh, but I also, I'm, I'm kind of along the same lines of, as, as kind of what your timeline is. I like that first first uh, first second week of September just because it's kind of that pre-rut phase. You're still going to get a little bit of bugling. You're still um, gonna get some good movement. Um, I compare it to in the whitetail world more along the lines of like late October, where um, they're hitting scrapes and you know the bucks are starting to get fired up and they're starting to be more active during daylight. That first week of September is kind of what I compare to that time period, and it can be a really good um, opportunity to kill a bull. And like you said, you're you're not dealing with such big herds and you know multiple sets of eyes. You're still getting a little bit of the rut, but you're also able to kind of get sometimes on that bed to feed or catch them out feeding in meadows and get them on that pattern as well. So that's, that's definitely something to consider and, and, uh, you know, good point to bring up. Yeah. And I think like, like we said, that full moon, I, you know, I've heard, you know, can cause the, them to run all night and then to get quiet during the day. And, you know, I don't know if, um, I don't know if you've experienced that or, or anything like that, yourself but i knew like we don't want to compete with that you know we've only got a few days to get this done and 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 we don't have time for for that and so i think that that's an important thing for folks that are planning to go ahead and you know google the calendar for you know september of 2019 or 2020 or whenever so that that you can say okay well i'm not going to worry about that week because that that way i don't have to compete with the full moon yeah yeah for sure good point and um, I know in Colorado, it was really dry this year. We didn't have hardly any winter last year with limited snowfall. And then the entire summer, we didn't get any rain. So we were pretty much in drought conditions by the time the um, you know season rolled around with uh, multiple wildfires across the state. Did any of that kind of affect your plants? Was it pretty dry in Montana? Were you dealing with any potential wildfires in the unit? What, what did that look like? You know, fortunately, um, we weren't dealing with, with, uh, any of that in terms of, I mean, you know, there was definitely water. It didn't really rain. I don't think it maybe rained a little bit while we were out there. So we didn't have to worry so much about it being so dry. And, um, and then, you know, with regards to Western fires, I mean, that's obviously something that we, I, you know, I checked before we went out because I was a little concerned that we might have something that shut down our unit. And that wasn't the case either. So I think we, you know, we got pretty fortunate as it relates to, um, you know, to that. Yeah. Yeah. Good deal. So you're at the point of you've, you've determined, or you've kind of got maybe some general areas picked out, you know, you know, roughly the time period when you're going to hunt or, you know, that your week picked out, um, what was kind of your next step in, in kind of the planning and the scouting process of, of planning this 2018 elk hunt? Well, I mean, um, you know, really getting, um, you know, I sort of alluded to it earlier, just getting granular on, on having those, um, those plans for each day and mapping them out on, you know, I would, um, map them out on Google earth, uh, or Google earth pro or whatever. And, and then I would also map it out on Onyx. Um, and there's other mapping tools out there, you know, in addition to Onyx, but you know, that's obviously a really good tool 
And so I'm, you know, I'm trying to map those out like day one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then, you know, I wanted to try to make sure that everybody was uh, bought into, you know, where we were going, what we were doing. I tried to, you know, explain sort of the rationale. And then, you know, I, I think another thing is, you know, look at the, um, for those of us that live east of the Mississippi is, you know, take a look at the, the topography and you can use, you know, lots of different mapping tools, but take a look at the topography of the area that you want to hunt and really kind of compare it to the, the big hill or the big quote unquote mountain that that's in, you know, an area that you've hunted whitetail before so that you can get a real idea of like, okay, this thing, is it so steep that I can, can actually climb it? Or is it, cause I, I, I made that mistake of, of looking, you know, making some of those plans and not realizing exactly how steep those areas really were. Cause you just can't tell a whole lot from, you know, your computer screen. And I think, you know, comparing and contrasting to some of the quote unquote mountains in your backyard can help with some of that stuff uh, or help alleviate some, some issues when you get there and it's, it's literally straight up and down, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing for me, at least when I started hunting here, just being outside and hiking or shed hunting or whatever in the mountains, it's like you always underestimate how difficult it's going to be. And, um, you know, like just, just knowing and, and reading those topography lines are going to help out a lot. But it's it's always looks easier <laughs> when you're staring at a computer screen from a from your room or something and 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 doing this research. You're like, ah, that's not going to be too bad. And then you actually get out there and you're like, oh my god, this is going to be rough. Um, so you always have to kind of. I almost think like if if you think it's uh, three miles and it's going to be this tough, maybe add another mile and and prepare that it's going to be a lot steeper than what you think. So I always I always kind of prepare for the worst, um, you know, expect the worst and hope for the best in that scenario. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, some of the other stuff obviously that you do is you know you're getting your gear list, you're you're trying to you know get the gear that works and. You're trying to see where you can save money. And, and, you know, honestly, Adam, I mean, you know that you don't have to buy everything camouflage. You can buy, you know, the North Face Puffy. You don't have to buy the branded camo Puffy yep. uh, jacket. Or, you know, the, and, and so, you know, those are some things. That's the fun part of, of preparing for an Elkhorn is buying new toys and that sort of thing. But so we were all you know, really trying to understand, okay, this is what the weather's probably going to be like, and this is what it could be like in worst case scenario. And, and, um, you know, those are some things that, you know, that we spent a lot of time doing and talking about and trekking poles. Do we need them? Do we not? And and you definitely do need trekking poles. So. <laughs> yeah. Make a big difference. I got, I got to pick up a set, um, for myself and I, cause I know it makes it a lot easier, especially just getting around, but, uh, and then on the pack out as well. But, um, what you, you're talking about gear here, did, did you guys decide that you were going to do more of a backcountry style hunt or were you buying gear more in preparation from, um, you know, a standpoint of hunting from the road and, and basically out of a truck? What, what kind of, what was your decision there and, and maybe how did that play into your gear selection and, and preparation for the hunt as well? 
Yeah, so I think we wanted to, you know, I had tried to sell everybody on the idea that we would carry our camp and everything on our back and, you know, get away, you know, get back there. And if we had to compete with other hunters, maybe get away from those other hunters. Obviously, elk don't like people. So, you know, if we get a couple miles back and just, and just camp, we don't have to hike a couple miles back to our truck. We just stay where we want. Yeah. And so everybody was good with that. And, you know, I know some folks that, you know, that we listen to or read about, I mean, they'll, they'll hike so many miles every day and then hike so many miles back to their truck every day. And I was like, gosh, that just seems like way more than I'm capable of doing. And so, um, so that's really, you know, we, I guess, we, you know, we call it bivy hunting. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, yep. <laughs> when you carry camp on your back. And, uh, and so that's what we, we decided on. And, um, you know, along with that, you know, we each tried to, you know, up our fitness level, knowing that we were, you know, going to try to really hunt back country. And we each had different approaches. Um, but I, I think, you know, it's really difficult to really, really fully prepare from a fitness standpoint if, you, if you've never done it and if you don't know what you're getting into. And, of course, the thin air component is, you know, difficult, if not impossible, to replicate. But, um, but yeah, we decided on a, you know, on a bivy hunting and uh, just sort of getting away from, trying to get away from other people if, if we ran into them. Yeah, yeah, which with that style of hunting brings you um, a whole nother challenge with your carrying your food and, you know, what food you were going to bring. What what kind of, what did that entail? Was it a lot of like prepackaged, uh, freeze-dried, free, like kind of mountain house type meals or um, were you, you going pretty pretty light on that side? What what did your food selection and what was kind of that preparation going into it as well, knowing that you were going to be, you know, backpacking and everything on your back and not going back to the truck unless you absolutely had to? Yeah, so, um, you know, I think we were targeting 3,000 calories a day, and however you got there, you got there. And for me, it was a combination of different protein bars and granola bars and other snacks that, you know, either had caffeine or, um, you know, some other, um, you know, highly dense, um, food and then topping off every night off with, you know, a mountain house meal. Yep. And so, um, because I really wanted to, um, you know, just get up and get on the trail. I didn't want us to make breakfast and all of that nonsense. I wanted us to just get up and go, and eat while we're eat while we're hiking. Now I will tell you this, um, you know, one of the things we really underestimated was how much water you really need to force yourself to drink and pack. And, you know, I had heard the number of like, you need to be drinking like five liters a day. And we definitely underestimated that. And that, um, that impacted how much we ate or how much we even wanted to eat. And, you know, by day four, you know, day three, even we were in, in really rough shape. And I mean, we were, oh, no. it was, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it was just like, we were, you know, at the end of day three, I had, you know, I'd shot a, a bull and we were basically out of water and everybody was peeing Brown and, 
everybody, you know, I was getting, I could tell, I could feel the effects of dehydration. And so, you know, I think that that's an important thing for, you know, for your listeners is that, you know, you need to make sure you pack enough water and you need to make yourself drink it. And because, um, you know, at that level uh, of elevation, you don't even maybe realize how much water you're losing. And um, so, uh, you know, so the food thing, I, you know, I didn't eat 3000 calories a day because I didn't, I couldn't really put it down because I wasn't drinking enough water. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same way. Like I bring a three liter, um, you know, vestibule with me and I seem to run out of that thing like every day or (laughs) I will, if I, if I'm not very conscious about it, like I got to use it sparingly, uh, especially during the early season. If I'm really like hiking and it's hot, like I, I burned through that, like nothing. I require a lot of water. Um, but was that, was that something that you kind of planned for in some of your scouting and planning, you were like, well, we need to probably do a base camp here because this is close to a stream or somewhere we can get water. What did, what did that kind of pertain? And you know, how did you end up planning or deciding on where to camp each night? Yeah. So where we were camping was really close to uh, water sources. Um, but one of the things we didn't account for was, um, the first area that we selected was uh, a rancher, you know, was letting his cattle graze it, and which was perfectly fine because it's public land and, you know, they allow that. But there was, you know, the, the stench of cow uh, <laughs> and cow manure and cow it, everywhere. Yep. And we just weren't crazy about the idea of filtering, you know, that water and drinking it. And, um, and so I think that that was part of it. Now I had brought up, we had brought up a bunch of water with us in jugs and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, it, but I, I think just the idea of, all right, well, we're not going to use that water. So we're going to use this water, which means we're going to limit how much water we drink just to conserve water. You know, I, I mean, that's, that sort of played into, you know, the equation that we didn't, I didn't really anticipate. Yeah. Um, after we after we moved the, uh, we moved camp um, after I guess the second day, we were an area that where there was no cows and that sort of thing. So that was real nice. Uh, but at that point, we had already, um, you know, like I said on day three, I had shot the bull. So then, you know, we never had actually really even used that other clean stream at all. But you know, I we probably looking back, we probably should have just sucked it up and (laughs) drank the the cow urine (laughs) it's amazing what those things uh if you get a good filter i think i have the catered in um i don't know what it is it's a pump filter but i i tested that out i i actually dipped um not on an actual hunt but i did it while i was shed hunting in the spring so i wanted to know what you know this this filter could handle i dipped out of a wallow that had like floating shit in it and I knew there was piss in there and just whatever else standing water and I didn't get sick. It didn't taste the best, (laughs) but you know, it's amazing what those filters can do. So, um, although, but I I'm with you, if, if there's a bunch of cow activity in there, I'm going to try to find something else because it just the, the aftertaste of that water, even though it's clean, it just doesn't taste the best sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think the other thing is, like, I'm a creature of habit at home, and I tend to eat a lot of the same stuff 
But, you know, when you're eating the same mountain house, um, don't do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because, like, I, I was, you know, I just got the same version of mountain house for every night. And, you know, I'm like, man, this is ridiculous. And so, you know, there's a lot of, there's starting to become more choices out there um, for food options. I think, you know, Heather's Choice is one that seems to be gaining popularity. Um, I, you know, I've never tried it myself. Um, but I, you know, I think there's starting to become more and more options. And I know some people start actually dehydrate their own. And I, you know, that's certainly, you know, an option that might be more appealing because you've got, you know, some homemade food. It's not, you know, full of, of salt, you yeah. know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So back to the gear, um, side of things, did what, what were some of the things that you had to buy that you didn't already have for hunting? I mean, did you go out and buy a good pair of boots, uh, a good pack, maybe some of your camping gear? Did you, what, what were some of the major purchases that, that went into, you know, your hunt as far as boots, pack clothing and, and, uh, maybe camping gear? Yeah. So I, um, you know, the pack and the boots are always important. Um, I ended up purchasing a, a the Kuyu 5200. Uh, I think it's the pro pack. Um, you know, it, it worked, it worked fine. I mean, there's a lot of great pack companies out there. Um, you know, in addition to Kuyu, uh, I ended up getting the, some Solomon boots, um, you know, I had broken, I felt like I had broken them in, but boy, they, um, they, I had some pretty rough blisters after a couple of days and, um, you know, but I, I would say, you know, from a boot standpoint, what the same thing that everybody says is that you really got to try, you know, all the different brands out there. Um, and, and I mean, like Kenetrex or whatever. I mean, there's a, you know, a couple of different ones. I think there's even a Cabela's boot that, you know, a lot of people like, um, and so you just got to find the one that works for you. Um, you know, I tell you, I, I bought the, the, the Prana stretch Zion pants and, uh, that was just an excellent uh, pair of pants. And I mean, I wish it had one more pocket, but, um, it was really perfect for, you know, early season archery elk hunting and, uh, was just really comfortable. And, you know, I, I very inexpensive again, going back to what I was saying earlier from a non camo standpoint. Um, you know, I know another thing is that, you know, some people have a sense that they want to spend a lot of money on rain gear. And, you know, I would just say that if it's raining really heavy, you might use rain gear. You're probably not going to be hunting. Um, yeah. because if you got a, if you shot an elk, you probably couldn't find it because there would be no blood trail. And if it's a light rain, you, I just, for me, I don't think that that's a big deal. I'll just get underneath the tree and, and then you just sort of dry off when it's all done. Um, when, you know, when you start hiking again. So I really wouldn't recommend anybody investing a lot of money in rain gear, uh, unless they have some great rain gear or something like that. But I didn't, you know, again, and that's extra weight that you might not really need to even carry. Um, so, you know, and then of course everybody, uh, you know, I needed some Merino wool, you know, uh, a Merino wool top and, uh, you know, some people prefer synthetic, but you know, the Merino wool was great because 
it, you know, apparently doesn't stink. And, you know, and I, so I got a lot of stuff that was Merino based, um, you know, um, so I think those are some of the, you know, big things from a gear standpoint. Um, I got it. I bought GPS, but I didn't really use it. I just had it because I, you know, it was fear of the unknown. And, yep. and we, we ended up using, you know, I'm not trying to plug on X, but we used that tool so much and it was great from, you know, even when we did hear bugles, we could triangulate where they were and put a waypoint there for an elk. And we, you know, as we were working those elk, we had a sense of, you know, on the map where they were, or even when we were packing out or, you know, just the tracker feature, which, you know, we use that a lot to understand exactly how we went up a mountain and how we could go down or should go down. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, those are some things, those are some things from a, you know, a gear standpoint. Um, And then, you know, I think I basically tried to rebuild my bow. So, um, you know, I'll be honest with you, Adam, I wanted to shoot a heavier arrow and higher poundage and I had to replace, I needed to replace the cables and strings. And so I spent a lot of time learning more about how to tune my bow and how to, um, you know, shoot a higher FOC and, and be more accurate out to 55 yards or whatever. And, and so it, it actually, you know, just the thought of going to hunt elk, I was like, I owe it to the animal to make sure that any shot I take is something that's actually going to put the animal down. Oh yeah. So, um, so I felt really, I mean, it was kind of fun. You know, I, I became, I feel like I'm a better bow hunter now because of, you know, rebuilding it and retuning it and all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, that's uh, exactly it. There's some people that that go into a, an elk hunt with the same gear that they've whitetail hunted with, and you know, it's it's definitely different, and you got to prepare for it. And and I was the same way. I you know, when you start thinking, I never really thought about you know FOC or total arrow weight or you know even broadhead selection for that for that matter when you're dealing with whitetails. Um, you know, either not as big an animal, shots are a little closer. Um, but when you're talking with an animal that's six, seven, eight hundred pounds, and um, you know there, there's there's a lot that goes into it there, so you start thinking about that. So I, I found myself doing the same thing and kind of learning more about your setup and tuning and and just kind of getting better prepared or having the right equipment for that shot. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah, and and so now I'm all geeked out, and <laughs> you know my bow, and and it's a little bit like anybody that you know plays golf or people that are in the cars or whatever. You can take those things to geek levels, and that's sort of where I'm at with uh, with my bow. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and I want to get into the hunt here in a second, and, and kind of you know highlight that, and you know from day one to let's say day three, where where you ultimately kill the bull. Um, but let's talk a little bit about physical prep and, and, uh, conditioning. What, what was kind of your regiment for that? And, um, you know, what was your kind of game plan for knowing, you know, where you're going and the terrain you were getting into and that you were doing a bivy style hunt. Um, what were some of the things that you were doing to kind of prepare physically? So I, I work out a lot and, um, a lot of it's strength training, um, and just trying to stay, you know, in shape and, um, in, but I, I didn't, I didn't have sort of the, the endurance, uh, that I would 
probably need. And um, so what I started doing was was uh, running with um, a weighted pack. And so I had an old backpack that I filled with some bags of sand, and I think it weighed around 40, 45 pounds. And, and, and I wouldn't recommend it for everybody because running – you don't, you don't necessarily need to run with that much weight. You can just find a good, uh, you know, football stadium, high school football stadium and go up and down, up and down. Or if you're staying at a hotel and you travel a lot like I do, you know, try to do that. But I, I tried to run three, four miles with a weighted pack because I really wanted my joints to get comfortable with that abuse. And, um, and I, you know, I just wanted to get, uh, increase my endurance. And I did some other, um, you know, some other workout, some other things to help build, you know, my core to help really, um, increase, you know, my flexibility. And I did some other things, but that was one of the bigger things that I did. And my dad had hired a personal trainer to work with him. And, um, and he was really, you know, pushing himself to his physical limits. And then my brother did a lot of long, uh, long distance running and so, you know, I tried to um, c- communicate and over-communicate the physicality of what we would be doing, you know, getting, you know, you need to get weight on your back and you need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable with that. And, um, but I, you know, you can only do so much. And so everybody sort of took their own approach and, you know, honestly, it, it I mean, it was brutal. It was the most physically demanding thing we've ever done. Uh, and, you know, aside, but, you know, aside from the blisters, which, you know, that's, you know, really tough, no matter how in shape you are, or aren't in, um, you know, we did, we did well. I thought we did really well. And, uh, and, you know, the, the, I think the key is, is to, um, um, no matter how much, you know, whatever kind of shape you think you're in, you're, it, it's, you got to double what you're doing and it's good to have a, you know, find a good personal trainer, find a good coach, someone that'll help you stay accountable to, you know, what you're trying to accomplish, establish a baseline and in understand between the baseline and you know what your goal is, you know, have some work with somebody that'll help hold you accountable to that because, um, that's really the most important thing is to, you know, you need to commit to doing something, whether it's running with a weighted pack or just literally, you know, three times a week doing a certain set of, um, exercises or things to build your endurance and get your joints ready for that pounding. So, you know, if we had to do it all over, I know that we would, you know, we would probably do more, but I think we did pretty well considering that we hadn't, you know, been through that type of experience before yeah yeah no and and you can never do too much um but it's very very tough to prepare yourself fully for what's coming and and you kind of adjust you you get into it a couple days and you know things get a little easier after you've kind of got over that initial um suck (laughs) from the first couple days and the soreness has passed but i i've seen the same thing like even for myself like those first couple years i i trained and I, you know, obviously I live in Colorado, so I have the advantage of being used to elevation and whatnot, but, um, you still do have to prepare and still want to get in pretty good physical shape because I just remember instances where I had been hiking all day or I'd been hiking for a while and I was beat 
and a bugle would rip and it'd be either way down this draw or drainage or way up the ridge and there were a couple times I was just like you know what like I I just don't have I don't have it in me to go after that and I was really disappointed in myself to be like man I just did not prepare and I it wasn't in as good a shape as I wanted to be so that's what I try to convey to people is like it's it's not about being like the super athlete but it's about you know preparing yourself so it's going to be one easier but you're also going to have the gas in the tank to go after that ball or go after that experience or you know make it happen when um you know you're kind of you've really went hard for that day so that was a big wake-up call for me yeah i you know i think that um you know as you whoever you know for folks folks that are listening to this you know incorporate your kids or you know other people into your fitness and, 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 you know, for two years, you know, my kids constantly heard and my wife kept constantly hearing me talk about how, you know, I wanted to get in, you know, mountain shape or mountain fit or whatever term you want to use. And, and so I would, uh, you know, we'd go jogging and I'd have my weighted pack and, and my son would be, you know, saying things and my daughter would be saying things to, you know, to motivate me because they're cheering for dad. And and that was a really neat aspect of it. And so, and as I was moving up the mountain to, to kill the the bull that I did shoot, I've made, I literally stopped and made a video for them on my phone and and sent it to them where I was like, guys, I'm going after this bull. And just like we said, the elk are another mile. They're always another mile. And I'm going (laughs) to go the other mile to get this guy. And I appreciate you all helping me train for this. And so, you know, I sent that to them and, and I know that they, they love the video and, and it was, so it was a really neat thing to sort of build into, you know, our family uh, as we were, you know, as I was sort of working towards the Montana trip. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really cool, man. That's, that's awesome. Getting them involved. Um, so let's, uh, we've kind of, is there anything else that you maybe wanted to touch on as far as like preparation before the hunt or scouting or anything like that or um you thinking we kind of want to jump into the the story of your actual hunt and maybe the days leading up to your bull yeah yeah let's jump right in okay yeah so like um yeah, yeah. go ahead oh go ahead so i mean you know on day you know really the, the first day we got there i mean we were driven for you know like 25 hours or something and you know i think it's important for people going from east to west you know, acclimate, you know, that first day you sort of get there, don't, don't run up the mountain. Yeah. Um, you know, set up camp, have a nice dinner, enjoy the views and let your body get comfortable with being at that higher elevation because there's nothing more. I I mean, they they could really ruin a hunt and yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things, but certainly running up that mountain and having some, somebody get altitude sickness, could be, you know, would put people sideline them for two or three days or even, you know, even worse. And so that's sort of what we did on day one. And then on the second day, that morning of, um, we actually, uh, just, you know, we had changed, we had adjusted our plan a little bit, but we still were hunting the same, uh, burn that we had targeted within this particular unit. And so we went up, um, you know, a couple thousand feet. And, um, it's interesting is that, uh, 
you know, you keep hearing sounds as you're going up and you're like, is that, is that a bull? Yeah, or is that a, you know, is that an elk? And, <laughs> and you know, we're, we're like, okay, they feed, you know, in the morning until around nine, nine thirty, And then, you know, they're working their way up to bedding and, uh, you know, and they get to bed or maybe, I guess maybe nine thirty or 10 or 10 30. And, and so you're trying to think of, like, okay, they should be, you know, coming up this draw if this is, you know, potentially where they're feeding. And and so as we worked up closer and closer to the top, we weren't really hearing, seeing anything except, you know, all the cows that, you know, I, I mean, it's amazing how athletic these cows were, Adam. I mean, they were, you know, they were just way up there. I'm like, how do these cows get all the way up here? Where are all the grizzlies <laughs> that, that, that should be eating these cows? But, um, um, you know, we actually – Later in the day, started hearing um, cow elk, and um, along in this uh, really close to us in this uh, dark timber area, and we, you know, we did see them, and um, we actually uh, found a saddle that where they all bedded, and um, and so uh, we were amazed and we were thought, thought, okay, anything beyond this is, is gravy because we've actually found elk and we saw them. And, um, and so, you know, there was a point in which I ripped off a bugle in, in sort of into a basin over the, the peak of this, uh, this mountain. And, and it was sort of facing the saddle. And after I ripped that off, we immediately heard, you know, a, bugle like 200 yards away and i mean this maybe you know maybe a little bit further maybe a little bit closer but it was really close it was within that in that saddle that we had identified and it was just you know hair stands up on the back of your neck and on your arms sort of experience and so um unfortunately a, a series of storms started to come in and with lightning and thunder and we were like we can't stay up here we got to get down and get away from this. Uh, and so after that, I mean, it was like probably an hour and a half or two hours, you know, going back to that area, there really wasn't anything. And, uh, you know, so we had sort of lost them and it was starting, it looked like more storms were coming in. And, and so we were like, all right, well, let's just, you know, call it a day. We don't get, want to get caught in, you know, another lightning storm. And so that was really our experience on day one. And it was really, you know, great to, to think, you know, we found elk. And, yeah, that's and, huge. You know, and that's really the hardest thing. So, uh, um, you know, going down the mountain was tough. And, you know, I talked about the physicality, you know, the, uh, you know, us sort of getting in shape. Um, you know, day two, you know, my dad said, you know what, I'm going to take it, take it easy. I'm going to stay at camp, my body needs the break so my my brother and i decided to go back up to that same area and on, on day two and uh but i'll just you know i'll pause there if you have any questions or any any comments about about that well no that's i mean that's that's huge i mean it sounds like your planning and preparation and your scouting really paid off because i mean for you to be able to to, to camp and go in blind and uh get into elk your first day should be very um you know, proud of yourself for your very first hunt. That's, that's actually kind of rare. Um, so hats off to you. That's really cool. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, drop off again, Adam, for the next 10 years, and that may never happen again. So <laughs> <laughs> for all for you know for all that you know from the, all the prep and planning you just you know some you know dumb luck has to it does is part of the equation but i mean day two um you know like i said my brother and i went back up there and we um got up there earlier earlier than we did the previous day and ran into the cows they were had uh spread out a little bit even more and so we, we had to backtrack a little bit and loop around the base, not the base, but, you know, loop around, I guess, the, a certain area so that we could get into a better position to sort of maybe even see the whole herd. And, um, you know, when we did get into that position, we didn't see the, the, the cows, but um, my brother had been promoted to caller. Because uh, so, <laughs> my dad was, was uh, down at camp. And so he ripped off a bugle and then we, we got two bugles back and we were like, wow, this is game on, you know? Um, so we, um, you know, I had done a lot of research around elk calling and, you know, there's different, there's different styles. I mean, everybody listening here probably knows Corey Jacobson has a style, which is, you know, find the bull that wants to die today. You know, it's, it's a very aggressive style. Paul Medal, the elk nut, has his own approach, and he is um, gets very very granular about you know well, what are the elk, what's the what is that bugle saying? Is it you know is it a is it a lo- you know is it a locating or an advertising bugle or is it a is that is there some aggression in that bugle and or you know is the bull bugling and moving and and that is something different as well and so you you know he gets into very situational um, thoughts. Cause he's like, I don't want to pass up bulls, um, that aren't ready to die. Whereas Corey will just keep moving to find the elk that are ready to die. And, and Corey's obviously in great shape. And so, you know, we sort of were trying to read, okay, like, you know, we've got a herd, we think we've got a satellite down here. Let's try to approach, let's, you know, try to split the difference and see, you know, let's do a calling scenario and see if we can get one of them to come in. And, and so we did just that. We ducked into sort of some of the burn and some of the dark timber and we're, um, you know, trying to engage the satellite that was lower down and closer to us and do some, um, a little bit of cow calling, uh, and then, and try to, you know, cut him off a little bit try to get him to come in or, and, and it, it just really didn't work because none of them were really moving. They were, um, both the one that was sort of the quote unquote herd bull that was higher up the mountain was not moving. And, and the one that we considered the quote unquote satellite wasn't moving. And so we tried to make a play for, um, when the satellite wasn't sort of coming in, we worked up to try to get into what we thought would be the bedding area for um the herd bull and you know as when we got up there it he had moved up even further up the mountain and then the you know then it got hot and then everything sort of shut down and so you know it was an exciting day but it was you know we never you know we never actually got anything to come in and really you know respond to our calling 
but um but again we were you know we were in the game and that was exciting um so we actually cut the day short because of we we my, we knew that my dad might want us to move camp to another side that might be a little bit more gradual slope or easier to access and so we we cut the day a little bit short and headed down and, and made a plan for for day 3 um nice and so you know and then that's when we and, and so we did decide to move camp the the following morning which i think was uh monday yeah i think it was the september 10th and uh and so we moved to another area but it was going to allow us to sort sort of hunt these same elk but from a different a different uh, way into uh you know to call them got it got it yeah, that's uh, that's that's good stuff. Because, like I said, you you got a little bit closer. It sounds like on day two, and now you're making some adjustments. So what? Um, so you move camp, and now you're at day three. What uh, sounds like this is where you you make it happen? Yeah, you know. So we we went up this uh, this other portion of the, the mountain to access this this basin, and and as we approached the top, we started here. We heard bugling, and this was unprompted bugling, and and we thought that they were closer than they were but once we popped over they were literally in the same sort of general area that my brother and I had been the other day so we um we ripped off some bugles and they would bugle and I was like you know they're not gonna move they're, they didn't move yesterday we're gonna have to take it to them and so um my dad and my brother stayed up at the the top of this sort of point saddle area and uh and so I decided that I was going to take, um, you know, the cow call. I think I did. I did have a bugle tube, and then um, I had I had a, uh, a heads up decoy as well. And um, and I took that. I went down to the bottom of this basin, and then I started to work up a crease. And you know, my dad, and my brother stayed up top, and they would rip off a bugle maybe every thirty minutes. But honestly, Adam, they were these elk were pretty vocal and all I did was I just was like, you know what? I'm not going to reveal my position. I'm not going to do what I did yesterday. I'm just going to let them continue to reveal their position and I'm going to try to work up and get as close as I can to see what happens. Yeah. And so, you know, I will say this, the thermals were constantly switching. Um, and, and fortunately it was just, they were going sort of from left to right as opposed to up and down. And, um, and so as I worked up this crease, I would move myself across the crease so that in a way that the, those thermals would, you know, if I did end up sort of on their level, the thermals would be blowing my scent away. And, and so, I mean, it was literally, I think it took me four hours to get up, you know, from the point that I left my, my dad and my brother to, you know, to the point of which I, you know, eventually got a shot. Um, I just continued to sort of listen and let them bugle. And then as I worked up, held that heads up decoy, I have no idea if they saw it or if it worked, but I just was like, I need something to cover my movement as I worked in there. And I finally got to a point where I started to make out the back of an elk or, and then I saw a bedded, I saw a cow feeding below me and then another cow bedded and two other cows walking across the opposite ridge of that crease and then I saw a bedded bull and 
And then I was like, okay, this is it. I'm here. Now, anything that comes, you know, whatever's happened on the opposite side that I could see, and there was a lot of movement, I thought it could, they could very well happen on the side of the creeks that I was on. And uh, I was going to shoot, I had, a, it was either branch antlered or a cow was what my tag allowed. And I was going to shoot anything that came along. And so I had worked up to sort of their level and, and then started, I found a game trail and started to use that, that trail, even though it was like paper thin to get in closer without, you know, making a lot of noise and, and requiring a lot of movement. And, uh, I, I shed my pack, I shed my, you know, everything that I needed or everything that was on, on me, I just shed and I just sort of stood there and, and then about, I mean, literally not too many minutes later, I look up and about, and it was 80 yards away. This bull was raking a tree and, uh, and I was like, okay, he's on the same trail as me. I'm going to, um, be, you know, be ready. He, I, I arranged a tree that was 30 yards away where he would come around. And I knew when he got there, my 30 yard sight pen. And so he got there within like three seconds. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and so I, I, uh, I mean, it really happened so fast. They, I mean, their walk is as fast as my run. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, I had, um, I had seen a lot of videos and a lot of information on taking a frontal shot on an elk. And so I felt very comfortable with that shot. I know it could be considered controversial, but I knew at 30 yards, um, I could make that shot cause I had practiced a bunch and I knew my bow was ready for it. And, uh, so he got the 30 yards, he ripped off a bugle and he turned and it was a perfect straight on shot. And I shot, I think literally just as he was finishing up that bugle, and I rushed it and I used my 20 yard sight pin and my arrow literally went right underneath of him. Oh no. And, uh, and so he looked at me and I knew, you know, the gig was going to be up really soon. So I didn't even care about my movement. I just was like, I grabbed an arrow, knocked it, put the 30 yard sight pin on him. And then that just hammered him. And I mean, he, he pivoted to his, to his right, which is sort of towards the crease. And then he fell and then he tried to get up and he fell. And then, I mean, he was, it was like a Mike Tyson knockout. I mean, he, he, he was, he fell, he did more falling down the mountain and rolling than he did actually on his feet, you know, because he, that, uh, that frontal shot just took out, I mean, absolutely everything. I mean, there was, you know, there was blood everywhere. There wasn't, even though I didn't have to trail him, I just checked out the area where I shot him and, uh, you know, it's like, a, like someone dropped a pink can. So, um, so for anybody that's listening, I would highly recommend, you know, doing research on that, get comfortable with the anatomy of an elk and understand where you need to put that shot. Cause it isn't, you know, it isn't like a, a broadside where you're going to, you could hit long and it's a pretty big area. You still need to place that arrow well, but if you do, I mean, my God, my goodness. I mean, he just, he went down like a ton of bricks and, and so, and then, you know, then the work began. So, yeah. Uh, but that, that's how it all went down. Yeah. Well, I've seen the same, I've seen the same thing, you know, like some of Corey Jacobson's videos where he, he shoots some frontal or some other online. Like it's, 
it's devastating if if and uh, you know it is controversial but there's also that argument it's like if you miss or you're off it's not a fatal shot um you know and and, and usually the bull will live um other times uh you know like on a broadside if you hit too far back maybe you're in the guts or something and and that bull's eventually going to die but it might take a month for infection. So um, that's cool that you took that shot, man. And obviously you did your research and planning and, and really understood what it took to do it. And, and it all, all went down, put that bolt down quick. Yeah, it did. Um, and, um, you know, obviously exciting. And, and, you know, I was able to get cell service and call my brother and he told dad and then, you know, and then the party, the work began, the, the celebration happened. And then very quickly after that, the, the work began because it was, you know, like four thirty in the, you know, in the afternoon, it was going to get dark. We had to, you know, uh, get this guy quartered and get that meat, you know, airing out and, and in a, at an area where we could approach it the next day because of grizzly country. And, and so, you know, it's like, we got to do this right because we didn't want to lose the meat or, or, um, you know, have, uh, have an encounter. uh, Yeah. Have an encounter. So, (laughs) yeah. So what did that look like? You guys all kind of got to work on that or they, they met up with you. Um, you know, what it, did you bring out the first load to them and, and, and kind of meet up with them and then bring them back? What did that look like? You know, my dad is is the butcher. And, uh, and, and so I went down and got them and brought them up. And then he, uh, you know, he started doing his thing and my brother and I were the muscle and we started, you know, haul, moving those quarters to uh, sort of a, a knob uh, away from the kill site. And, um, and, and so we, you know, we had five, you know, you know, when you build your kill kit, we had five game bags. I mean, we maybe could have used another one, but you want to have, we had the, uh, the t stuff to lay the meat on yep um i used some uh um some cayenne pepper to cover the meat to keep the flies off of it and that actually worked really well and you know you know i'm just sharing these tips because these are all things that are like oh i gotta do that i gotta do that and and you know we had zip ties to really close up those uh those game bags so that, you know, nothing got in them and they didn't slip down from the, you know, the, the leg or whatever. Yep. And, uh, so we, you know, we got it, uh, we, you know, we didn't get everything hung up because we ran out of rope, but that didn't really have a huge impact on, on the meat. I mean, we had it leaned up against stuff or whatever. And so we left it overnight to cool. And then my brother and I came back the next day and deboned everything and, um, started, you know, making another trip down, uh, and, um, you know, and it took a while. And, and I guess what I, I would, another, just another thing is to really consider is to hire, maybe look into hiring somebody ahead of time to be available for a pack out. Yeah. Um, because as much fun as it was to get that elk, that, you know, that pack out was really, really tough. And, and it really, I think, you know, we could have celebrated more and, you know, cook some of the elk and that sort of thing. But we just had, had a great sense of urgency about getting it off the mountain, getting it away from bears, you know, getting it cooled down. And that's a lot of, you know, that's a lot of work 
and a lot of stress to, you know, maybe pay somebody, you know, and I don't know how much any of that costs, but, you know, you could pay somebody to be on hold to pack that out. And it makes, it would make a big difference. It would have made a big difference with our, um, you know, with our trip. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So what, uh, what are some of the things that, you know, you know, we kind of went full circle here. We've, we've started at the beginning and the planning and the scouting and the gear and the preparation. And then, you know, now to the actual hunt itself and you got a bull and, you know, you packed it out, um, you know, knowing what you've went through and, you know, this experience as a, as a first time elk hunter, what, maybe what are some things that you would do differently? Um, you know, is there any advice you have there as far as like what you learned and what you might change for your next hunt? Walk us through a little bit of that. Yeah. You know, I think the big things, and we talked a little bit about it is, you know, the water, you know, hydration piece of it, uh, the food and having, you know, again, five liters of water, 3000 calories a day, but having variety, uh, things that you're really going to want to eat and whether that's a uh, variety among mountain house meals or variety among dehydrated meals or whatever. I mean, from a fitness standpoint, just, you know, understand your baseline and, and, and identify, you know, working with a personal trainer or working with someone that can be a coach holding you accountable. I would highly recommend that. And because wherever you're at today is not enough. And it's going to impact your ability to enjoy the hunt or to even get to the elk. And to your point, Adam, you know, you talked yourself out of it, out of it once or twice. And now you like, dang, I really sort of regret that. And, um, it, it, so I would say those are some of the top three, um, you know, again, some of the topography stuff, understanding that and calling, like we talked about earlier, setting aside time to really call a biologist, but, but call them after you've done a bunch of research so you're not asking them dumb questions and wasting their time, but you're asking really intentful questions that, that you know, the biologists can really um, sink their teeth into. Because they're, and don't ask them, you know, where should I go hunt? Because yeah. <laughs> they'll, tell you, tell, they'll tell you what they'll tell everybody else, which is the same unit, and then, you know, you'll just have a big, yeah. have a big party together. Um <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I would just say, you know, like I said at the end there, the pack out is, is, you know, really think about that. I know when you do this stuff, DIY, public land, it's like, how can I save a dollar? Um, and again, I, I haven't researched the, the pack out piece and how much it would cost to have somebody on hold uh, or what that looks like. But I know that some guides or people will do that. And uh, or if it's renting llamas or renting goats or something like that that can help um you enjoy the hunt a little bit more rather than you know that that stress or that urgency of getting it off the mountain and getting it cooled down and that sort of thing yeah yeah all good tips and uh before we kind of wrap this up you've you've kind of put together a little bit of a, a training course or um I don't know exactly what it is, but tell us, tell us, you know, obviously you've learned a lot from this experience and, you know, planning and, and whatnot. Um, have you put together some sort of course or some sort of training, yeah. um, you know, educational piece that, that people can go to talk to us about that? Yeah. So it's, it, you know, as you probably heard, you know, hopefully your listeners heard, I put a lot of thought and intent and was very intentional about a lot of aspects of the hunt. 
And so I just love thinking about it so much. <laughs> I love thinking about <laughs> elk hunting so much. I, I just thought I got to have an outlet for this. And so I, I have a background in education. And, and so I created an online course. Um, it's uh, called 12 Months to Elk. And it doesn't, it's not like uh, Elk 101, Corey Jakeson's thing. It's more designed for folks like me that are east of the Mississippi that are really trying to effectively plan the hunt. And maybe it's their first or second or third time. Um, but how do you effectively identify a state? How do you get down to that granular level? And, and I include a lot of tools around um you know, spreadsheets on how to analyze, you know, particular units. So you can really see trends, you know, go hunt is great, but it had limitations for me. And so, um, the, you know, there's different algorithms that, you know, around elk calling that I put on paper, there's, um, just a lot of different resources and tools for the person that's saying, I'm going to hunt elk 12 months from now. Uh, and hence, you know, the name of the course. And then we look at it 12 months out, what should you be doing nine months out? What you should be doing six months out, a month out? And then what you should be doing on day one. Yeah. And, you know, of course, it's got gear lists and stuff like that, but there's tons of gear lists out there. I try to focus on the, the, the real things that are imperative to planning uh, your trip so that you really maximize the, the time that you have actually hunting and not wasting time driving to another unit because something, you know, you didn't plan for happened. And so it's on, um, if you go to my Instagram page, uh, or whatever, it's Jacob M Coons at C O O N S. That's my Instagram handle. You can find it there. Uh, you can go to Udemy, which is a, a an online course platform. It's U D E M Y.com. And you just type in elk and you'll find it there. But um, it's, you know, if you use the, if your listeners use the code capital, all caps, bull elk, B-U-L-L-E-L-K, they'll save 10 bucks. It's very inexpensive and you get the course forever. And of course, if anybody, whether they get the course or not, your, your listeners could definitely message me with questions, any question, and I'll be happy to, to answer them, you know, you know, again, whether they get the course or not, but I just, the course lays it all out very systematically because you're going to macro to micro when, you know, when planning these things. Yeah, no, it sounds like a really, really great resource where you dive into a lot of specifics and, you know, planning, which is great, which is what a lot of people need. Um, so it sounds like a good, good uh, thing to check out for sure. And again, congrats on that bull. That's awesome to get it done your first, first year and, and definitely appreciate you coming on. I'll have to what maybe as we both progress as elk hunters, we'll have to uh, do a follow-up episode and kind of get it in some different rabbit holes on, on this topic. If you're up for it. Absolutely. And, and Adam, I just want to thank you for this, putting together this platform. I mean, you know, transition wild is, you know, is, is great. You have your own, uh, you know, sort of, uh, beginner's guide that you offer. And, uh, you, you know, I, like I said, I've mentioned your YouTube channel as a resource. And so, you know, I just, you know, I appreciate all your help because quite honestly, you helped me, uh, put that all together. 
uh, in addition to, you know, the thousands of other resources that are out there, you, you were a big help. So thank you. Yeah, man, you're welcome. Well, I'm, I'm uh, happy to hear you say that. Glad you got some use out of it. That's what it's all about, helping each other, learning from each other. And that's what this podcast is about. Um, I don't know all the answers. You don't know all the answers. But, you know, if we can each learn little things all together and progress as hunters, that's uh, that's what we're going for. So, yeah, definitely appreciate it. Well, um, again, Jacob, you have a great evening and we'll talk to you soon. All right. You got it. Thanks again, man. All right, there we have it. Another episode down. Thanks again to Jacob for coming on the show. Very, very cool stuff. Um, lots of good information. And, and I really like how we we dove into some more of the specifics, or he dove into a lot of the specifics, rather, um, especially during that planning and kind of figuring out where you're going to hunt and and ultimately deciding and nailing down that particular unit and and you know, very granular level, um, you know, location. So hats off to Jacob. Uh, sounds like his, his, what he's put together with that, um, 12 months to elk program could be very useful as well on, on the planning and, um, you know, preparation process. So definitely check that out. I'll link that in my show notes on the website. So definitely give that a look. And, um, you know, this gets me fired up for next year's elk season, I actually have a late season cow tag with the rifle that I'm going to go after and, and, uh, maybe I'll put a little meat in the freezer. So you never know, but I love talking about elk all the time and you know, Hey, Jacob reached out to me. He had a good story, had a good angle. If you know somebody or, you know, if you've had a really cool hunt yourself and you'd like to come on the show definitely send me a message, um, Instagram, Facebook, send me an email, uh, go onto my website, fill out the contact form and I'd love to hear from you. And, um, I love seeing your hunts, your photos, keep, uh, keep reaching out. I, I love, love hearing from the listeners. With that said, I still have the Colorado beginner elk hunting guide on transitionwild.com. It's got a, you know, similar vibe to what Jacob is doing, but not really that, you know, granular level planning process. Um, and you know, this is more geared to Colorado itself, but if you're planning on hunting Colorado, you got a rifle tag coming up or you're beginning to plan for next year in Colorado. There's a lot of good resources there. So go subscribe, send me your email and I will send you that Colorado beginner elk hunting guide for free. All right, this podcast is brought to you by Heads Up Decoy. As Jacob mentioned in his podcast, he actually used a Heads Up Decoy on moving in on those bulls. So that's pretty cool. I find myself doing the same thing. It just, you know, protects you from your movement, you know, allows you to get in a little closer and uh, make something happen when you might not think it will come together. So check them out, headsupdecoy.com. They got everything, uh, elk, mule deer, whitetail, antelope, moose, turkey, all of it. So um, give them a listen. They're a sponsor of the podcast. And make sure, if you like what you're hearing, go to sportsmansnation.com. You can subscribe there. We are on the Western Big Game feed. You can also subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever. And definitely leave that five-star review if you like what you're hearing. Please, please, please re- leave a review. That would be much, much appreciated. Check out Sportsman's Nation on 
Facebook, Instagram, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Same with Transition Wild. You can follow me at Transition Wild. Uh, look me up on Facebook and uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. Much, much appreciated. All right, that is it. I will let you go for now. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.